Hello and welcome to That's Barely a Game. My name is Mike Tanner and I'm your host. And this is a podcast all about game design. And today I have a game designer with us. And so I'd like to introduce everyone to Elena Sanchez. Hi, Elena. Hello. Hello. How are you, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Sorry, I jumped the gun there a little bit. It's all good. No worries at all. Uh, so I have asked you here today to talk a little bit about uh, game design, uh, your experience as a designer, your experiences as a player, and sort of uh, all, all things in between. So maybe we could get started with how long have you been working on game design and uh, how, did you, how did you get into game design in the first place? Um, okay, so I guess the most recent and professional iteration of, of my forays into game design started in like November of last year because I just had this idea on November 24th for a game about event planning. And then by the 26th, I had made a prototype and we played it that day, which I believe was Thanksgiving day. Um, and then it just kind of steamrolled from there because my family really enjoyed it. So I was like, you know what? I should make this a real thing. So then it became like a professional goal. But before that, like basically my entire life, I've always been making games and I just didn't realize it. <laughs> I always find that really interesting. Like I've talked to a number of people who are like, oh, like game designs. Okay, like a year, but also the entirety of my life. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> do you remember sort of what some of your early stuff was with game design? Oh. Like what were some of the things you used to do? Oh, yeah. Like for Christmas presents and stuff, I always thought it was more special to make like handmade things. But I also hated anything that didn't have a function. So I wouldn't just make like, I don't know, like a ceramic little ornament or something like that for people not nah, i would make a full ass game so oh sorry i don't that's okay. sorry about my language is that one okay that one is perfectly okay <laughs> okay cool <laughs> i would make a full thing and then like make different versions of it specific to each people so there was this like kind of like marbles like i no, there's a better there's a better comparison but i can't think of it right now this game that i um invented involving little glass pieces um but I chose the diff like the different colors and different symbols, uh, depending or according to different like um, liter literary, like like famous literary works. Yeah. So like, because my grandmother uh, always really identified with lions, I made hers Wizard of Oz and put the Cowardly Lion on the cover. And because oh. my, my mom always really liked turtles, I made hers Aesop's Fables and put the tortoise and the hare on the cover. And so that was the kind of thing. I was just always doing stuff like that, just because I wanted to make stuff that was special for people, but also had a function. And that, I, you know, games is perfectly good function for me. And were you, how, how old would you have been at that point, like making sort of the Wizard of Oz and the Aesop's Fables kind of stuff? How, how old would you have been when you were doing that? I was probably like eight, nine, ten. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, really, really you, little. Were you playing a lot of games at that point? Like, did, was, was your family a big, like, game family or? Yeah, absolutely. Like, when I was a little, little, little kid, it was kind of like um, the Queen's Gambit story, actually. Chess was a big thing for me because the first time I played with somebody and they could tell that the gears in my brain were actually turning, they were like, hold on a second, this kid's not an idiot. And so then they actually taught me how to play chess. And when you're a little kid, when somebody, like, treats you like that and actually takes you aside and treats you like you have a functioning brain and I don't know it, it can be a really special moment so I think I, that I kind of got pulled in when I was really young because someone made me love chess that's I've been I've been um 
peer pressuring my my kids. So I have a I have a nine year old and a six year old, and yeah. peer pressure is not necessarily the right word. But we play a ton <laughs> of games, and I'm I'm not willing to be like let's play Candyland and let's no. play these. I'm like, like this weekend, uh, let's see, my daughter who is six beat us at Survive Escape from Atlantis. Oh, good uh, for my her. son beat me at Smash Up Munchkin. Um, like we, we really play, like, I, I, I agree. Like you can, you can actually get kids. Uh, How's their confidence? Their How's their Pretty, confidence level? Especially my daughter who tends to be the winner of these games. It's high. Uh-huh. Um, incredibly yeah. high. <laughs> I have a working theory that if you use the right games in the right context, that basically every stage of education, you will create little dynamos that go out into the world and believe they can do anything. Because, I mean, you've taught them a wide range of skills, right? And if they're constantly winning, what reason do they have to think they'd fail? Well, that's, you know, my, my mom has talked to me about that a little bit because she you know, we, we talk, I'll talk with friends sometimes who will say like, you know, do you let the kids win or this? And I'm like, no, I, I crush them when I can. Um, <laughs> when I can. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot anymore. Um, but my, my mom said the same thing, which is, you know, growing up, she taught me chess relatively early and checkers. And we played a lot of board games and she was like, I, I let you play. I never let you win once it was like possible <laughs> for you to try harder. And so I, I think that's true. Yeah. And, and my mom happens to be like particularly competitive. So I think it was, it was good that I had her never really letting us win and never really wanting to lose <laughs> because we would always know that eh, like, it, does it feel like mom's letting us win right now? Yeah. It kind of feels like it, but would mom do that? Never. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, this must just be us kicking butt. Yeah. We must just be awesome at this. Yeah. My, yeah. my daughter's my, my, my daughter and son have very different um, experiences for playing. Like my son is the experienced person. Like he wants to do really huge moves and like massive, like game experiences happen. And my daughter is basically like, how do I win this game? <laughs> Ooh, I will do that. And it's, it's awesome to watch. Um, yeah. What, uh, so, so chess was early for you. Um, mm -hmm when we had talked a little bit about games you liked, you, you, you pulled out the classic uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, yep. When did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? Probably, uh, you know, I keep putting things around the same range, but yeah, probably around 10. Like we would play a version of D&D &D, and I guess to this day we still do, which is very loose, very, very mm -hmm. loose when it comes to sticking to the rules. We, we basically homebrew just about anything <laughs> because yeah. it's just like anything goes but we'll use the structure as sort of like a set of guidelines so when we started playing early DD, we really didn't get into like the blood and gore and, or necessarily the mathematics and the minutia but mm -hmm. it was really just sort of like here is how you put a story that is in your mind into action and you make decisions as your character and that was huge because i'd never played a game like that before where you just have complete control over yourself and your environment and anything goes and you just get to go on all these amazing adventures and create friends that are fictional, but also very real to you. It was just a beautiful thing. Did you, was it your family that played as well or was it with a friends group? Yeah, my mom was a nerd. Like she played the original D&D, &D. like she has original AD&D books and stuff that we still look at because they're amazing. And uh, she, like, she was one of those 
Stranger Things kids, basically, mm. back in the day. We just got into it because I think we were big into like Lord of the Rings <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, my sister's four years older than me. She fell deep into the rabbit hole and she's been our main DM ever since. So oh, we're awesome. looking at like 20 years of her being our established DM and her stories are just incredible. Yeah, that, that was one of the things I always, I, I also, you know, I, I started out with Lord of the Rings and then got into to Dungeons and Dragons. And for mm-hmm. me, it was always the sort of open world storytelling versus the, oh, look at how I can min-max my skill attributes and, yes. and all that sort of stuff. And so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. I, I sometimes come up against board games where I'm like, but I don't want to do that. I want to do whatever I want to anything. do. I have a, I have exactly. a better idea. So why I would want I to do anything? Why, why would I do that thing? Um, I try to have a storytelling element in pretty much any of my game designs because I want people to feel immersed. So mm-hmm. I think I think it comes from that D&D background. Like when I think about all the games that have made me happiest, I try to pull in different elements of that to make other people happy. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like I think a lot of our like what we like for game experiences probably comes from what we what we liked as game experiences, you know, growing up like the the games I'm working on designing are the games I would have wanted to play when I was a kid and when I I was a teenager. Yes. I just can't imagine, I can't imagine designing a game that I wouldn't have just been pumped about at that age. Right. Yeah. You want to excite your inner child because then you know you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you, so, so you've, you're away from professional designing. So you, you still do a lot of gaming and all of a sudden on November 24th, you decide I'm, I'm designing a game. How did that come about? Like what, what made you decide, okay, I, I'm designing a game? Honestly, oh no, I know exactly what it was. Okay, so it was kind of a combination between Sims and Animal Crossing being some of the games that I was playing a lot at the time. And this other game, which I don't know if people are gonna judge me for this or not, but it's called Home Design or in-home okay. design or something like that. And it's um, it's kind of a, it's, an, it's a wonderful game for mobile if you just like um, aesthetically pleasing things, but it's also extremely hard to like advance in unless you feel like dropping a whole bunch of unnecessary yeah. cash. So, you know what I mean? Like mobile games are often <laughs> I know like the, that. Every mobile game, it's like, this is gonna be really fun for you, but nothing's gonna happen if you don't give us $3.99 every couple minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and we will milk you for that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, I did unfortunately drop quite a lot of cash on this game before I realized, oh, wait, 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 wait. Everything I like about this game, I can make into a different game that I can enjoy for free. So, <laughs> But what was great about that game was that you had these exquisite furniture pieces, like chairs and lighting and tables and whatever. And you would create these spaces that, oh my God, they, they were just gorgeous and I wanted to walk into these rooms and throw massive parties in these rooms and it got particularly bad with the seasonal items because they would bring in stuff that was just ridiculously cool so I don't know I don't I don't have better uh phrasing than that but just stuff that was extremely imaginative and that you'd never even that you couldn't imagine existed so I was like okay you know what this plus lockdown is really making me want to party so I decided to make a game about party planning and I was already kind of, um, I'm, I'm like obsessed with 
travel and learning different languages and celebrating that that which makes this world so diverse and beautiful. So I had already wanted to write a book or something like that about world holidays to get people pumped about the different ways that people celebrate yeah. their cultural landmarks. And because world holidays are just so, so fun, so fun to study. And they really help bring people together. Like I, I find that if you're in another country, when a festival is going on, you just feel so much more like a part of it. And, and it's, just a, I don't know, it's a wonderful bridge between people and who doesn't like celebrating? So, so yeah, so that's just sort of all that snowballed into me creating a game about event planning. I have a very similar, so I, I, first off, I will not judge on the choice of game. Um, I was a tiny tower Thanks. on mobile player for a significant period of time where I was like, I could build another floor and I could put these things on it. And then uh, in university, I did uh, eventually break in half the CD-ROM version of, I think it was The Sims 2 that I had. Oh, no. I was like, I just can't. No, I snapped in half on purpose. I was like, it is 4 a.m. You have been putting in carpet of your house for an hour and a half. This can't be, this can't be where you go with this. Right. Um, so I, I certainly no judgment of the games. But I do think it's interesting that you sort of recognized like, these because i you know i love video games i absolutely love them um yeah my, my kids right now are all trying to catch me play candy crush like their big game right now is like can we catch him he's in the corner he's got his coffee mug he's in that chair i bet he's playing candy crush we'll go catch he's him. crushing um he's and crushing so right my, now. my thing has been like how quickly can i get the screen off and those sorts of things but <laughs> um but i think like it's really interesting that you said okay it, that's really cool but like i could just i could just make that what what's your what's your background that you even thought like aside from just a, an ex, a history of games i think there's so many people who think oh, i can't make a game what made you decide like yeah i could totally um, make a game like earlier in this year i earlier the same year i had made something called um the happy place and it was basically a party or what am i talking about it's a series of games contained inside this box that has a certain theme so like i have two one is like a neon space theme and then the other one is like an ancient greek theme and so inside all the pieces are things that would kind of fit those themes mm -hmm. and then i included a little tiny pamphlet of a series of, or a collection of like five or six games that can be played with these pieces oh, and wow. and so i i made God, I made like a dozen or so because I made some for me, some for my family members and for a bunch of friends. And so I made a whole bunch of different themes. Like one was an Asian cuisine theme. Mm -hmm. One was uh, forests, just, just trees, like basically just wood and trees. Cause that's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> one was like um, fairy tales. It was like all uh, Jack and the Beanstalk theme. Cause that's totally my sister. Um, oh. So, and so, yeah, I just ha had all these different themes going on um that i used for for these boxes and then i guess i i guess in november when i started designing this and i wanted to look into actually talking to game designers people who could actually publish this i was like mm -hmm. happy place those little things i made when i was a kid stuff i've been doing literally my whole life games i invented when i worked for disney english to help teach my kids um all of this kind of led to me realizing that I am a game designer and I always have been. <laughs> so I just bit the bullet and was like, all right, 
let's do this. Let's make this a real thing. I, I love it. I also love the idea like that you, you you look at it sort of like I I'm going to be a game like it's not like and now I will pursue this career of game design. It's like, <laughs> oh, I actually am a game designer. So I just have yeah. to make it. People have asked me in the past. I used to do a ton of writing and people would always say, like, why do you write? And I, like, I'm like, well, I, what how like why what do you mean? Like it that I have to write. It's a it's, it's actually a, a byproduct of my life. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then so sort of it's just like the same thing. Like you sort of games and sort of bringing people together, whether it's family or those sorts of things, it seems like sort of this, it's the theme of your life. And it's like, oh, let's it design is. games around this theme. It's yeah. It just took me a really long time to figure it out. <laughs> but that's all right. I'm here now. <laughs> that's the story, right? That's the that's the yeah. narrative. That's the storytelling. Pretty um, much. So I, I am fascinated. So having having tried to put together so many prototypes and, and being someone who really struggles with, okay, now I'll let other people play this. How did you go in the course of two days from like, I have a thing, now we're going to play this thing. Like what was the actual prototyping process for you? What kind of materials did you decide to use like how how high fidelity or low fidelity did you go oh man i've got i've got pictures of the first uh prototype it still it still exists in its original version it is woof it's rough anyway (laughs) um (laughs) but it is just cardstock and pencil um and the first step was making a a set of rules i guess like okay how does this work like, what are the mechanics? What am I trying to accomplish here? And how will the mechanics help tell that story? So I first set up a series of rules. Then you have to populate your game with actual items. So then I made a massive spreadsheet um, containing not just the holidays, but all of the items, the values, and all the data that I would put on the cards. Then I made the cards. And, and that took basically all of November 25th. I was just scribbling, 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 scribbling. And then all of November 26th, I was scribbling and cutting. And then that night we played for the first time. (laughs) And what was it, so what was it like the first time you played it? Like, was there stuff that was broken immediately or was there stuff that was like, oh, this is just perfect. (laughs) Yeah, like, so what was, what were some of the things you realized like, oh, right. Like, were there moments that you remember being like, yeah, that, that might not work properly. Absolutely. So actually one of the first things that needed to be broken, although a friend of mine came in and gave me this idea. So technically we didn't break it on the first night. Um, well, actually some of the things that we did discover on the first night was that we needed a way to like determine whose turn it was mm-hmm. and a way to uh, determine the order of actions that you take in a turn. So um Like if there's something that you should do at the start of every round that you should for sure do it at the start of every round and not at the end of the round, et cetera. So it was kind of stuff like that, that was like, Oh wait, uh, when do I do this? So kind of like that stop start. And then some people would, Oh, like, is it okay for me to use a holiday item for Easter? For instance, if I, if my holiday is Halloween. And so I had to sort out things like that and be like, yes, (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. And so like things I hadn't really quite considered yet in the designing of the game. So there was that. And then one of the bigger advancements we made in the in the next couple of games going forward when I had some more feedback from people who 
have a more of a background in games mm-hmm. was stuff like get rid of money because we had made dollars like i we had fake cash that i cut out and like wow what a pain in the butt that could have totally been avoided because <laughs> we yeah. just ended up using the value on the cards after a while that's that's something i'd recently like I, yeah I, I, there's there's all these things when you're like okay i built this big thing and then you're like oh, i didn't need that eh you could just yeah. find an easier way to to do that it's it's funny i was playing um so I know that Catan was one of the one of the gateway games that brought you to board games, and it was for me. And and now mm-hmm. I I no longer like Catan. Like now that I've played a lot of other games, I'm like I there's just a Very bunch limited. of stuff about it that that but exactly it's like I have no real player agency. Um, yeah. But this summer I played a game. We had had Rivals of Catan forever and had never yeah. opened it. Nice. Um, and it's a two player version of Catan, and there's this just really simple things they do like turn a card in order to like, instead of getting a resource, you've got a little card that has a a tile that has like one on one side, two on another three, and then four. And so you just turn the tile to facing you with how many you have. And I was like, I would have built four times the number of tiles they needed or a hundred cubes. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, like this could be pared down like so dramatically. Um, yeah that's a big game changer that kind of stuff's really really interesting to me um can you maybe so just in case we have some more things that are really about the game could you maybe give me like a quick overview of what exactly the party planner is and like how do you how do you play it what's the what's the the elevator pitch of the game if you will oh my i should have probably developed a a better (laughs) elevator pitch but i'll see how well i can we'll say it's a long elevator ride there's a bunch of stops you've got time don't don't worry about (laughs) it so all right, sounds good. Slow, old, old. Yeah, elevator. it's an old elevator. Yeah. All right. So the idea is you are an event planner who works for an agency and you have been assigned a specific holiday or event, say for instance, a graduation or Halloween, but you can do a neutral event. And your job is to collect four different food items, four different decor items, and two different entertainment items to complete your party. If you're able to collect each one of those 10 different items and also fulfill the requirements of your assigned venue, you end the game. So so your mission, I guess, as an event planner is to collect as many items as fit your theme as you can, because that will get you the most amount of points from your guest of honor. Mm-hmm. However, you can mix and match with items from other holidays if you feel like they fit. You can use neutral items. And there will, of course, be some ways for you to boost the value on certain cards or diminish the value on other cards, etc. Basically, ways to help you make decisions on what items you want to keep and what items you want to get rid of. Then, just to make things a little bit more complicated, there are things called setbacks that you get from your vendors and also the King of Fools, who is a little character I've put into the game who acts as the sort of overarching antagonist. He just likes to cause chaos (laughs) and he just likes it when things go haywire because it's fun for him. So if you draw a setback card from the King of Fools, that might be something to factor into your considerations when you're making your choices. Nice, I I like the idea of having like, there's so many games that act sort of as like a simulator 
to where like it, it pulls out of like, okay, I'm just the person doing this thing, but I love the idea of having this character that's like, okay, you're trying to plan events. I'm trying to ruin your day. It kind of yeah. reminds me, it's, this is, this is going to be the most obscure reference of all time, but there was a Domino's anti-mascot called the Noid. Um, what? At one point, Domino's Pizza had this thing called the Noid. It sounds I'm like sure Mac it was, Tonight. I'm sure it was called the Noid. And it was this like weird animated thing who would just like ruin your time. Um, and Domino's would like be the thing that would help you overcome. I'm, I'm either making up the most vivid dream I've ever imagined or <laughs> I'm 100% right about this, but I feel like I am. Um, but I, oh, I, I just love you. the idea that there's like, an, like some sort of antagonist that is the person that you're actually trying to go up against because I think some games can be like okay we have a really good I'm correct the Noid is an advertising character for Domino's Pizza created in 1980s clad in a red skin tight rabbit eared body <laughs> oh suit um, what the Noid was a physical manifestation of all the challenges inherent in getting a pizza delivered in 30 minutes or less um wow. it's a real real thing I'm so happy that I wasn't making that up nope. um but, but I like the idea that, like, I think some games can get too far into, like, the simulation side of things um, to where it's like, okay, sure, I did that thing. But, like, where's the story? What's the quest? What's yeah. The and, like, it also helps yeah. to answer certain questions. Like, I have a I have a couple of super-powered cards in the deck. Like, for instance, because I feel like they're terribly maligned, I have a clown card that is actually a good thing. And the clown... <laughs> The clown automatically cancels all of your setbacks for free. Nice. So the, and the reason behind this is, and she's an adorable little illustrator. Like I found the cutest little anime clown ever. And so you could never be mad at her. You could never be scared of her. And the, um, the King of Fools in my mind is a bit like Jim Carrey's Riddler. Mm. So they are mortal enemies. Right. So that's why. It, like she, he just absolutely despises her. So if she's at your party, he's not going to be there. Oh, so that's, it. and that's the, and it's a very simple, short way of explaining why the card works that way. But it also kind of makes, it just gives the thing a little bit of a story and kind of makes it feel like, I don't know, kind of like the creator made a little bit more of an effort. Yeah. I, I love the idea that you, that you bring in like theme and narrative. Like there's a, there's a Thanks. bunch of games that, that don't do that well and they're they're like fun you're like okay we're we're doing all the right things but i i it's it seems like in yours there's an aspect of like i want to be Im embedded in the game like i want to be immersed in the game rather than feeling like i'm a person playing the Plus, game sort of thing like you said with you being a writer i'm i'm also a writer it's so hard for me to take a story element out of something so like originally i was going to have all the guests of honor be characters or figures that are associated with those holidays. So for instance, Christmas would be really obvious because your guest of honor is going to be Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus, right? right. Yep. Okay. But what if I didn't do that? Because I have some holidays, actually quite a lot of holidays that are not having anything to do with Western culture or culture that mm -hmm. I personally am a part of. And like, say for instance, uh, Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year with sim similar holidays, not quite the same. Um, I had the guest of honor being Guan Yin. It's a little bit problematic. On one level, I think people would understand she's not there to be made fun of. She's mm -hmm. literally the guest of honor. However, 
what if I didn't do that? <laughs> like, because I feel like there's, there are many ways to do it wrong and yeah. have something that's meant to be respectful still be extremely disrespectful. What if I, what if I made the guest of honor or all the guests of honor sort of like celebrities or something like that, that were mm -hmm. made up like fictional celebrities in world. So they basically have something to do with the story. They're somehow connected to the King of Fools and to, um, and to the clown. So, sorry, I'm not really uh, bouncing stuff off of you. No, I, no, I no. am, but I'm not, <laughs> but um, it's just sort of part of my thought process because I want to make sure that this is a game that is extremely inclusive and yeah, the last yeah. thing you want to do with a yeah. game where you're like, hey, I want to bring people together and help them understand cultures is is be culturally insensitive or not realize that there's something that you didn't know or something that like mm -hmm. all those sorts of things that that can be complicated. And I think, you know, the <laughs> you can have the best intentions, but all of a sudden it's like, mm -hmm. well, I could do a lot of work to understand this or i could mm -hmm. leave this space to somebody else or i could like you know there's or i, I could do a lot of work to do it right and also right. somehow boost the existing story structure that's all already there somehow um amplify other game elements that are mm -hmm. already there like there's a way from if i'm clever enough there's a way for me to do this in a way that is all around the right Absolutely. choice like it, it so I love I, I what I will say that I love about the way you've approached it is that a lot of people would take one road or the other. They would either say, I just won't bother because uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard and I don't like hard. So I'm just not going to try. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the other, which is more common, is to just go, well, I'll just roll ahead with, you know, what I know and I'm sure it'll be fine. And there's, <laughs> there's, the, the number there's something of games, about this that feels wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I mean, I, I can't. There's so many games. I mean, my, my wife and I have been discussing, we have a game called Puerto Rico. Um, and Puerto Rico is a is brilliantly designed from a mechanic standpoint. But there are some like massive thematic issues of like choices. <laughs> it, well, I mean, literally in the game of Puerto Rico, you have settlers. They, they come on a little boat then you get those people to work in various areas, including tobacco and sugar. And then you send those resources back to the, the mainland for money. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a beautifully designed system, but there's a huge part of it where you're like, this feels like we're talking about like, yeah, I'd be very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very much like the first time I ever played the game, I looked at it and went, um, so we put people on boats and we get them to make things for us. And then we take that profit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some questions and, and there's- Exploitative. Yeah, very much so. And they, the creators have, have tried to address that in some ways of what it meant and what it didn't, but it gets to a point where you're like, it doesn't actually matter that much what you meant for the game to be but it's yeah. the perception mechanically so and and functionally it still feels like i'm taking advantage of these people like yeah, in the course of the game so yeah it, it's so. yeah it's an area it's an area i'm struggling with because i also have in my head like oh i want to make this big civilization building game and so many mm -hmm. of those games are like okay step one destroy a culture or overrun it uh fight <laughs> it etc and you're like yeah that's not really what i'm 
hoping to do here. Um, oh, I super don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I'd really <laughs> rather not. Uh, what if we don't do that? Um, exactly. So I, I just love the fact that you, you've you've flagged the idea that like if you want to do if you want to do something like this, do it, but take the time and effort and energy to do it right because we don't That's need more of the wrong things no we uh, don't we absolutely do not and and for people and sorry my brain is just so no, scattered no, this is, this is great. um one of my big approaches to this is that i know that there's a right way to do things like like you can ask people for their input. You can ask people for their experience. You can do it in a way that doesn't put them on the spot. It is up to you as the creator to be thinking about these things. Mm -hmm. And I think I have already sort of made a couple of mistakes in my approach to this. And it's just a matter of learning from that and making sure that every step you take in this whole process is conscientious. Um, it could come, it could come down to it that like, even after all of my really, really careful um, choices and everything that I've done, I could make a final version of this, take it to a publisher, and ultimately they still say, you know what, uh, I think that us dealing with so many different cultures is just something we really don't want to take on right now. Then mm that would have to be something that I accept because there must be something about my game that still isn't quite right. So I would, I would be okay with that. And that's why in, in this process, it's a big, big, huge concern is to make sure that it is done right at every step of the way. Cause yeah. it is about bringing people together. It's not about me making profit. It's, I mean, it's a board game. No one's going to make profit from making a board game anyway. Right. So that's what I love about these board game design podcasts I listen to. They're like, okay, so you're a board game designer, but like, what do you actually do? And they're like, oh, I'm an engineer, a dentist or whatever. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, cool. Just making yeah. sure that you're not actually just a board game designer. No, because that's not paying your bills. I know it's not. Yeah. And yeah. ESL teacher professionally off the side. Okay. But so, um, but yeah, it's uh, neither one really particularly pays pays the bills. Like, oh, you're a board game designer. Wow, big spender. What's your other thing that you do? Oh, you're a teacher. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's <laughs> you're rolling in it. <laughs> I, I love though the idea that it, it seems like too what you've done is you've you've figured out a space that you want to be in and I think that there's like the games I've really loved over time are games that I've I've you you could you could sense the passion in the person designing it it wasn't just mm -hmm. like oh hey I had an idea for a couple of mechanics and I threw them all together and they all worked fine and I slapped a picture on top that was good and Everything's or fine. someone commissioned this and they needed somebody with board game experience to make it work. <laughs> like you're just doing a job, right? Like, no, no, no. I, the reason why I'm doing this is because I genuinely want people to throw little mini parties together and then tell the story of the parties. That's that's one thing that we've done actually in all of our play tests. My, my family likes to go around and tell the story of our party. So we'll be like, mm -hmm. see this enormous... Um, entertainment set piece no one actually cared about that because the main attraction was this epic guacamole so like and or we'll talk about the guest of honor and what sort of things they wanted at their party or something like that but we'll just tell the stories of our parties to each other and then for some reason that's actually crazy entertaining so well i mean it's think, it, it makes sense to me like it, it's 
it, it adds that narrative into it and you're part of the story and you, you, you experienced it together. And so you have this sort of shared experience of like, oh yeah, and this and that, and these things that happen. And that's really interesting. And, you know, there's, there's games you get that from, and then there's games you don't. And I, I love the idea that you've, I mean, it, it just sounds like such a complete experience for you that, that it's, um, yeah, it, it, it sounds like it would have been fascinating to work on. Where, Thanks. where you're welcome. Thank you. Um, <laughs> where are you at right now in terms of the stage of design? Like, are you, you know, hitting up playtesting? Are you starting to look at, you know, pitching, et cetera? Like what's, what's going on with the game right now? Yeah, we're pretty much at the playtesting stage. I have a mentor because I'm in the tabletop mentorship program right Same. now. Yeah. He is amazing. Like he is everything I could possibly ask for in a mentor. He has been extremely encouraging and supportive and just nothing. He's just perfect. He really honestly makes me feel like this is a game that could be something one day. It could mm. be actually like made into a real physical thing that people actually play and that makes people happy. So that is all of the motivation I need and all of the, the encouragement I need to keep doing it. However, the roadblock we've hit now is me basically being terrified of playtesters. So <laughs> we're on draft three. I'm making my cards prettier and more legible. Mm -hmm. I'm making a, a base version of the game because uh, we're not going to have all the holidays in because right. each holiday set has 20 cards each. So the first base set of the game is going to be all neutral events like mm -hmm. movie premiere, birthday, graduation, wedding, etc. Um, and so I have to make those sets I have to upload upload them to Tabletop Simulator. Yeah. And then I have to start scheduling playtests. That's where we are right now. And all three of those things terrifies me. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I, but that's, yeah. that's where we are. So I'll, I'll first give a big shout out to, I'm, I'm also currently being mentored in the Tabletop um, the tabletop hey. Mentorship Program. And it's been amazing. I mean, it's such a, it's, the idea that this exists like doesn't even make sense to me. Like right. they, I've never been in any industry or any activity or any hobby or any group where they were like, oh, we have a whole program that just teaches you how to do it by connecting you with the awesomest people you've ever met. Like that, that's right. not a thing. So I, I, I don't understand. It's fantastic, but I don't understand. Um, but I <laughs> have the same things. Like I have the like TTS, and then the playtesting are the biggest struggles because there's part of me that thinks like right now my game is good and I like it and I don't want you to not like it. Yep. And that's the, the, that's actually what we want playtesters to do is like not like something or have some discontent so that we can fix it and make it better. But the first step for that is someone being like, Hey, something you've done is bad. And you're like, okay, I don't want you to say that to me, but no, I disagree. Fine. It's beautiful. It's my baby. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's been like one of the biggest challenges. I, I'm really lucky. So I live on the East coast of Canada. Um, I live in a province with incredibly low COVID numbers. So we're actually able to do a small gathering physically together. Um, oh, that's nice. It, it's, it's amazing. And with the kids, it's been really good with that too. But it means that we've actually been able to have physical board game night. Um, and I brought my game to that group and I always describe them as they're my, I was with my best friends, which means I was with my worst friends, um, <laughs> because 
A, they were totally willing to play it, but they were also totally willing to tell me anything that they didn't like about this game to the point where I was like, I I don't know why you want to hurt me, but this is fine. Guys, I Um, I thought you loved me. I thought we were friends. Um, But I think that's, you know, the the playtesting stage is so challenging because up until this point, it's possible that your game is perfect and it is, is everything it could ever be. And that next part is hard. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not though. And I know it's not. And I know there are things that I'm excited to develop. Like mm-hmm. we recently kind of came up with, what if each individual card had a function? Like not just mm-hmm. an item that you get and you place, but also when you place it, it activates a certain power that mm-hmm. you can then you know, play out. And we played a version of that game like me and my mentor we actually did a version of that and we played a version of that and it didn't slow things down it actually kind of streamlined things and it made it more fun made it better for those who want to strategize and like be rewarded for being clever you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um it actually made the game so much better however it's going to make things so much harder for me on the development end because now I need to make the cards <laughs> so much exactly. more complicated than they were. So yeah, the, each new idea we have to make the game better, I'm excited for. And it, but it tells me a, it's not ready as is, and mm-hmm. b, oh, there's a lot of work left for me to do. <laughs> but there's, that's exciting. I think it was. It might have been for maybe for pandemic legacy or one of these games, I remember listening to a quote where, where the two guys that were developing it, one of them said, yeah, you know, I I think we're about 80% done. And the other guy said, yeah, but it's that next 80% that's going to be the hardest. Oh God. So true. It was this idea of like, yeah, it's, you know, it's where it needs to be. And there's only 20% left, but that 20% is -hmm. worth a hundred thousand percent of what you're trying to do. Um, Yeah. Has has there been anything that you've had in playtesting that you've been like, I just fundamentally disagree with how you perceived it or, or have you, has everything been like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Or have there been areas where you've been like, you know, I, I don't know if that's a problem or. Yeah. One, yeah. One of my playtesters wanted me to get rid of dollar values entirely. He was the one that actually suggested getting rid of cash. And he was like, honestly, if you just wanted to make these things worth points, that would probably also work. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Event planning. The budget is a huge deal. So like you ask any event planner, what's the biggest, the single biggest factor in all of their decision-making, they're going to say budget. So no, I, I cannot take out an actual current currency value on these cards. Like it just would bust everything to me. It would, Mm -hmm. I feel like it would totally ruin the theme. And he was like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. It was just a suggestion. So I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. So there are some things that I'll veto. Yeah, I, I had really good advice from uh, my mentor. Uh, they said, ask people what's wrong, but don't ask them how to fix it. Right. And so you know, one of, the, one of the challenges I had with my group, because they're all really experienced gamers, some of whom occasionally dabble with game design, is they immediately went to like, oh, here's what I would do to fix this problem. And I basically was like, cool. And when you build a game, you can definitely do that. What I want to know is like, what's the problem? And then we'll try and solve it. And it, it's a very interesting right. 
because if, if someone says, you know, I don't like this experience or I don't like this, then you, then it's your job to sort of be like, oh, cool. Like, how can I fix that? Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's so challenging to, to sort of figure out like, is this, am I standing up to this because I am right or because I just love it or because I, like, I, <laughs> I think that's one of the most challenging pieces is to actually say, I think it's easy to say yes to all the playtesting advice and say, sure, let's just, let's make all the changes that, that have happened. That's hard emotionally, but it's easy physically. Um, but the idea right. of actually saying like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to keep that is like such a, you know, such an if important they can, part. If they can tell me why that suggestion will genuinely make the experience of playing the game better, then I will absolutely listen to it. Because then I know that they're just trying to help me. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not just trying to have an opinion or something like that, but they're actually trying to help make the game better because they are thinking about that and it matters to them. So if that's where their heart's at, then of course I'll take, I'll take anything into consideration. Yeah. And I think the cool thing that's been with, with both the mentorship group and just with the, with the board game design community as a whole is I find that everyone seems like genuinely interested in everyone making better games. Like, yeah. It, it there there doesn't seem to be any thought of like the pie is only so big. I want Elena to make a terrible game, so oh, that, that or I like can make if so and so game. buys, or if they buy that person's game, then they won't have any money left to buy my game. Yeah, like, nah, nah. I know that the fact is that board game collectors will spend money they don't have on both games. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I know to be true. So I'm not worried about it. I want everybody to make their games because I know that everybody will, <laughs> and everybody who wants to buy your game will buy your game. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, that's been one of the big things for me. I'm, I'm not used to industries that aren't like directly competitive in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I'm not used to like working in a field where the person who is going to put out a game on Kickstarter the same week as you would be totally willing to like, give you all the advice in the world or oh yeah it's just that aspect and i would share their kickstarter on my page right (laughs) yeah like hey i've got a kickstarter but also elena has a kickstarter so hey check it out like it's just it's exactly uh, it's really fascinating so do you have an idea of when i mean i know it's really hard because with play testing but when is in your mind right now if you were like okay what is a date where I think my game is going to be, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see on a podcast, but finished. <laughs> um, when when are you thinking like, okay, this is the timeline I want to work within to get my game ready to go? I love to schedule things on major holidays. And because the um, King of Fools obviously reigns on April Fool's Day and also the Feast of Fools, but that's a different thing. Um, he... Uh, I did have a play test on April 1st recently, and that was a lot of fun. But then uh, my next one, uh, I can schedule for whatever holiday is coming up next, which I think may be um, May Day or Beltane. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a holiday that not a lot of people actually know about, and it would be a great excuse to kind of talk about it yeah. and um, get people excited about celebrating Beltane if they wanted to. So, uh, yeah, so I think maybe uh, maybe around then is when I might schedule the next play test. That's awesome. I, it seems like too, from, from both a play test and a launch perspective, given that your game is focused around holidays, it's like, well, you have a perfect reason to like build out a calendar of like, okay, we're going to launch on this because it's that yeah. holiday and it's this because it's that. And I could think like, 
my, I, I come from a comms and marketing background. So in my head, I'm like, oh, the marketing collateral around that holiday for that would be great. And you could do this and you could do, and yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it, it sounds, I mean, it, it sounds really awesome. The, the things I love um, hearing you talk about this is that, you know, just sort of recapping as, as we start to close a little bit is I, I love the fact of what you said, which is like, oh yeah, I've been designing games forever. And I think there's so many people who've been doing that forever. I mean, like I designed a bunch of games when I was a kid and then kept playing and kept poking around. And then like three years ago was like, wait, am I a game designer? And then all of a sudden was like, oh yeah, I am. Okay, cool. Um, but I love that, that aspect of it and, and tying in sort of your, your desire to bring people together in a, in a game about bringing people together that can be used to bring people together in a time when we can't necessarily be together is a, yeah. the, the most meta of experiences. So um, it, closing up, what would be um, any advice you have for people, you know, getting started or working on a game or, or thinking about game design? What would you say to someone who's thinking, okay, maybe I'm a game designer? Believe in yourself. I know that that is extremely boilerplate and almost, um, almost devoid of real, what, what do I want to say? Like emotion. But mm -hmm. if you don't, what do I want to say? I'm a teacher. I can see in a child's eyes, the transformation from thinking they can do something, thinking they're smart, or sorry, from thinking they, they can't do something to all of a sudden seeing the proof that they can. I think that gaming takes a lot of confidence to get involved in. So just making the, the step from non-gamer to gamer, like mm -hmm. person who doesn't play games to person who does play games is a big step. And then being somebody who plays games to somebody who designs games is also a big step. And one of the biggest steps in, well, one of the biggest factors, I guess, in taking that step is telling yourself that you can do it and that you're not an imposter, that you belong in that space, that people want you there, that your ideas have value. And, and so, yeah, basically do it, do whatever you can to build that confidence in yourself and then boldly go forward and yeah, bring whatever mad, beautiful, wonderful ideas you have into the world because no one else, no one else, is going to bring those ideas and it has to be you so yeah that's, that's <laughs> i know fantastic. it sounds cheesy no i mean it's, <laughs> it's believe in yourself <laughs> believe in yourself is is cheesy but like yeah it's also pretty factual so I, I i like it a lot so where is the best place for people to find you if they're wanting to learn more about you more about your game design where where on social or the web is the best place for people to connect with you uh i have a discord um you can add me on discord as a friend or just like jump into the discord community uh but i don't have a link for it anywhere i guess twitter would be the most I'll, easy at yeah, so, Sanchez. perfect and I'm, I'm gonna have those uh i'll have your twitter and your um and discord um popped into the episode notes as well so that if people want to follow you and and see what you're up to they can and uh i want to thank you so much for being a guest today Perfect. Thank you so much. I would be happy to come back on anytime or just to chat and, you know, just see how life is going and talk about games with you. It was a lot of Perfect. fun. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.